Thank you, Luke. It is a privilege uh, for me to be with you. And, um, you know, just, just the fact that Tara and I have enjoyed a friendship with Luke and Marianne in Christ for now almost 20 years is a reminder that you never know what God is up to in the midst of our relationships, that God is always up to more than we believe. He's always doing more than we anticipate, that his grace is always better than we uh, think that it is. Because I don't think 20 years ago when I'm sitting with Marianne and Luke in the sub at Baylor University, that, that any of us were thinking about planting churches in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, but we know what's true from God's word is that he was, and that he's always thinking about how to widen the reach of the gospel. That's what I want to talk with you about today, because this is a huge day in the life of uh, Christ church. God is establishing you, formalizing you, calling elders and stalling pastors, and yet it's all in the context of Jesus' mission. And that's what we read about here in Luke chapter 24, God's banquet of grace. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12 of Luke's gospel, chapter 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet... Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, What you have commanded, sir, has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet." This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we do thank you for your holy word. And we thank you for your passion that your banquet of grace would be filled. We pray that we might not only be those who come, but invite many others into it. And we pray this for Christ's church. In your wonderful, gracious name we pray. Amen. You know, I'm sure many of you are fans, and my family are fans of uh, that great movie classic, The Princess Bride. Um, I remember the first time I saw that movie, uh, now almost 30 years ago, I think. Um, And my children now love that movie, and I'm sure they're going to share it with their children. And one of the things that's so fun about that movie uh, is all of the memorable lines. My daughter, I think, can quote the entire um, movie and and one of the scenes that I think we all enjoy the most is at the very beginning when um, Vicini and his henchmen and Nigo Montoya and Fezzik have captured Princess Buttercup. And they're racing away, um, and, and yet they notice someone following them. 
we learn that it's the dread prince, uh, the dread pirate Roberts, and he's chasing them. And this seems to be completely shocking to, to Vicini. And um, he, he thinks that he's going to shake them and shake the dread pirate Roberts when he gets to the um, cliffs of insanity, right? The cliffs of insanity. The, the pirate cannot chase them up the cliff. But, but of course, the pirate begins to make chase, climbing the very rope that Fezzik is climbing up. And then when they get to the top, um, uh, Fasini says, well, we're going to cut the rope, and surely this will stop the, the dread pirate from making chase. But of course, he, he continues the chase. And it's preparing all of us for that famous phrase that Vassini says, this completely shocking chase that the dread pirate is, is making. He says, it's inconceivable. But, but of course, it's happening. Yeah, and that's why it's funny. That's why we, we like to quote that line, inconceivable, that this can't be happening, but it is happening. And then it prepares us for the second most quoted line in the movie, on the lips of Inigo Montoya. Remember what he says to Vassini when, when he says inconceivable for the very last time. He says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I want to talk about a word that we use in the church that I don't think means what we think it means. It's the word blessing. It shows up in this passage a few times. It's a churchy word. It's a Bible word. It's a word that we as Christians throw around and, and, and throw it around without a lot of thought. And so it's ripe for misunderstanding. It, like so many things that Jesus speaks about, The parables are giving us a corrective lens so that we can understand what he means by the kingdom of God, what he means by the blessing of God, what he means by his great and wonderful grace. And few parables are more important than the corrective lens that we have here in Luke chapter 14. It's the image of God's gracious salvation offered uh, to, to the people of this world offered to people like us, gathered here. And the image is this wedding banquet. It fits. Not only is it one of the images that the Old Testament prophets would have used, but it just makes intuitive sense because at wedding banquets, we, well, we feast. That's what a wedding banquet is, right? It's the place where the wine never runs out. The food is always beautiful. It's the place where we're with our family and with our friends. We don't feel out of place. We don't have that awkward feeling, where do I fit? It's this place where I can rest and let go of the cares of this life. Banquets are the places where life is at its best, right? Yet it's just that intuitive sense that prepares us for how we often get God's banquet wrong. Because our banquets tend to highlight and reinforce those privileges that we most enjoy, right? I mean, when we have banquets, we have them at the country club. We have them in the officer's lounge. We have them at that secluded retreat, which only our family knows about. You see, at those events, the outsiders aren't welcome. At those events, the, the people who, who don't know are not included. And yet God tells us that his vision for a banquet is very different. 
In fact, it highlights the, the invitation for those who shouldn't be there. That God's banquet's not defined according to the privileges and merits of this world, but according to the ministry of His grace. And it's just that distinctive that highlights the corrective lens that we see in this parable. What is the banquet of God's grace like? Well, it's so purposed in grace that some are going to be tempted to skip it. Because it won't reinforce that privilege. It won't reify the merits that they cherish. In verse 16, we see that Jesus is introducing the parable, and it fits the time of that culture. We have a master who would have made preparations. The invitations would have been sent out, readying people for the hour. And then at the hour of the party, when the food had been made, when the wine had been poured, he says in verse 17, come, for everything is now ready. And guess what happens? Those who've been invited don't want to come. Those who had been invited begin to make excuses. The first said that he had bought a field and he has to go and investigate this purchase. The next one said that he'd bought five yoke of oxen. He has to go and try them out. The last one, just so happens I married a woman. Can't make it. And because we're separated by history and culture, these excuses seem strange to us. But to Jesus' ears and to those who were listening, they wouldn't have just seemed strange. They would have been, well, lame. These excuses were terrible. We don't have time to dig into all of the reasons why they were so bad. But it's clear that these were excuses being made up by those who didn't want to attend the party. Somehow this party had not enamored them. And it begs the question, why? Well, the broader context is telling us Jesus speaking about the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, those who, well, would have enjoyed that privilege, that benefit of being on the inside, those who have been tempted to think that that privilege and that comfort of familiarity would would have made them those who enjoyed the banquet the most. And for some reason, it's not named. But but they were thinking, well, this banquet's not really going to fit my interests today. Maybe they were thinking there's lots of banquets to go to. Ah, so many banquets. Can't get to them. I have other things that I want to do. Not not attend this particular banquet. But what what we know, we can read between the lines. That that good old-fashioned pride is at work in the hearts of those who were presuming on their own privilege that this banquet was something that they could take a pass on. You know, that happens in the church too, doesn't it? That happens. We can be tempted to skip out on the ministry of God's grace. That it fails to stun us anymore. We lose sight of the great invitation. At some point, that's going to be a temptation for you here at Christ Church. You're going to find yourself sitting at your kitchen sink and you're going to say these words. Maybe under your breath, maybe you're your spouse, but you're going to be like, another party at church. Do I have to go? Or, or maybe you're thinking, you know, if, if we don't go and they don't go, it, w- w- there won't be a party. We're just tired. Why do we have to have another party? Or maybe we'll think, you know, I've been so involved 
I, I just don't have to be involved anymore. You know, there's a great temptation. We think about the party of God's grace that, that we begin to think that it's really for us. And consequently, it, it will fail to grip our hearts. We will minimize its significance. And eventually, we won't even want to participate. Whenever we're tempted to minimize our privilege, well, we're not going to be enamored with God's grace, and we're going to be tempted to skip out on what God is up to. The temptation to skip out on what God is up to is particularly powerful for those of us who are familiar with church, the insiders. And we can even begin to think, you know what, if we don't show up, God's mission will be thwarted. His party won't go forward. But what we learn from the, the parable is God's party of grace will not be thwarted by those who are not stunned or enamored with it. Look what happens. He's going to go find those who will be stunned with this grace. Those who will be enamored with the invitation. Look in verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. God's banquet of grace will not be thwarted by those who have no appetite for its blessing. The mission of his grace will go forward. In fact, so intent is the master on extending this invitation that the host is instructed not only to go to the lame, the poor, the crippled, and the blind, but to go to the highways and to the hedges. And if you were a first century Jew, you would have known that he was not only speaking about those Jewish um, people that were ostracized within the Jewish community, those who had been wounded and beat up by the establishment culture. But he's referring by, by the highways and hedges, those who were utterly outside. He's clearly speaking of the Gentiles. And Jesus was reminding us who the invitation of the banquet of grace is for. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. No matter our race, no matter our background, no matter our educational attainments, no matter our economic achievements, no, no matter our particular struggles, no matter our immigration status, In regards to God's invitation of grace, such things do not matter. God says you are included, and he's reminding us of what the mission of the banquet is all about. It's about inviting those outsiders. I love what Archbishop, Archbishop William Temple once said, that the church is the only society on earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members. I'm sure Lucas quoted that at some point here. You exist for the people who aren't here. How does that change the way that we relate to our congregation? How does that change the way that we understand doing church? Is Christ's church the kind of church that's so committed to the grace of the banquet giver that you're more interested in those outside of this room finding a home here than you making this home a place of comfort for yourself? How many of us think that way? 
I mean, don't we want to make church a place of comfort for me? And yet the parable of the banquet giver says God wants us to be a place of, well, home and invitation for those who aren't yet here. But now, almost 14 years ago, we started Redeemer with this same kind of passion and vision. And we said that we want Redeemer to be a place for, yes, the spiritually hungry, those starved for biblical instruction, those starving for the freedom and grace that comes in the gospel. We spoke about that, but we also said that we want Redeemer to be a place for the wounded, the burnt out, the broken down, the legalist, the prodigal, those who've left church and are wondering if church can be a place again for them, a place of hope, a place of healing. But then we said, no, no, not, not just for those wounded by the church, but for those truly outside, the skeptic, the seeker, the spiritual wanderer, the secularist, that one who's unconvinced. That one who doesn't believe that church can be a place for them. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, as a a church, is are we becoming the kind of place where addicts and seculars feel as comfortable as they do at an AA meeting? Or or at the bar? In our church? Are we becoming the kind of church where where people are going to pick up the phone and let you know that their marriage is falling apart, as opposed to fearing what will happen if they say something. Fearing the ostracizing that that comes if we let people actually in on the inside and know how broken things really are. See, that's the kind of invitation God has in mind. Come to the banquet. Come with all of the baggage. Let's come to the banquet of grace. And and that's also the privilege, isn't it? When we get to participate in the privilege of of that grace. Jesus speaks about that privilege early on as he introduces the parable in verses 12 and 13. That there's a privilege of not just being at the party, but inviting others to it. He's speaking about our calling to invite others. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. What is he speaking about? He's speaking about the privilege of assuming a cost that cannot be repaid. That's the character of the banquet. In those days, banquets were common just like they're common in our day that we would have a banquet, but then those costs could be defrayed as gifts were given, as I was invited or you were invited to share in other banquets. And for that reason, we would invite friends or family or rich neighbors. And yet the kind of banquet that Jesus is recommending here is one which the host cannot be repaid, but one in which the host absorbs the cost, absorbs the lost, the loss, in order to welcome others in. And then he says, that's the privilege. He says, you will be blessed. This is God's blessing. When the host assumes the cost, and the reason why that privilege is so important is because that's the privilege that we enjoy, isn't it? Because we've been brought in. We've been invited. 
And in the parable, it's the banquet host who assumes the cost. But, but in the story of the gospel, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who's assumed the cost of our participation in the banquet of grace. And it's for this reason that Jesus went to the cross. He went to absorb the cost of our pride, our insults, our lame excuses, our uncleanness, our poverty, our blindness. All of this stuff that, that makes us unfit for the kingdom of God. Jesus has absorbed that cost and invited us in. He's the one who set a table for us. We couldn't set it for ourselves. And that's our privilege. And then he says it's our privilege to invite others into that same party. To join him in that invitation. As those who've benefited from the cost of that grace Jesus paid, we're called to extend that same invitation to those in our city. So what does that mean for Christ's church? What does that mean for the mission here that God is beginning? The mission, by the way, that we want to repeat several times in our city. As those who've been invited to the banquet of grace, yes, enjoy that privilege. But, but we're called to serve this banquet by inviting others in, right? It's hard for us to believe that God is more passionate about growing Christ's church than you are. That's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around. God is more passionate about filling these seats than we are. And yet that's the logic of the banquet that he's sharing. That God is, well, passionate about making his people full. That's one of the greatest temptations, I can tell you, in a church that's planted. And as it grows at the beginning, we're, we're wanting to keep the lights on, right, and pay the pastor and all of these things. There's, a, there's just a pragmatic need that presses on us to, to reach out. But over time, that welcome weakens. And it reifies. We turn in. The welcome transforms it into walls that, that reify our comfort. What tears down the walls? What, what breaks down the walls when we're enamored with grace? When we're reminded that just like the outsiders who didn't belong, we didn't belong. As the outsiders become the insiders, we still are there because of that same grace. That same privilege that Jesus has bought for us. And so when we think about the blessing of God. What is the blessing of God? It's not just for us. In, in fact, it's for them. It's for those who aren't yet here. And, and when we understand the banquet of grace, when we understand his mission of mercy, that's what will enable us to stay committed to God's mission, God's mission in San Antonio. Let's pray together.